Okay, everybody, welcome back to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, and welcoming you in. Normally, Haggai Davis III would be here, but as a proud dad moment, he's he's out. He's preparing to defend the, his proposal for his thesis, for his PhD. So he is unavailable this week. Instead, we have some really intelligent gentlemen joining us on the show. Don, would you start off and introduce yourself? Certainly, and congratulations, Haggai. That is a proud Papa moment for sure. My name is Don Monastery. I'm the CEO and President of General Informatics. We are an IT provider, managed services provider, headquartered right here out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We cover the entire Southeast. And since we're going to be talking a little bit about technology today, I thought I might join you guys and see what these other really intelligent gentlemen have to say. Justin? Justin Abney. I am the CTO at Paystar. We are an integrated payment processing company out of Baton Rouge. As always, excited to kind of be a guest and chat as well, Haggai, and I'm just excited to see where these takes us all. Lex? Hey everyone, I'm Alexander Adams. I am the CEO and founder of Vigilus, a software development and cybersecurity tech agency here in Baton Rouge. We love working with AI. It's something that we passionately follow. It's a passion of mine, and I'm really excited to be talking about it with you all today. Welcome again, guys, into Tech Gumbo. For those of you who remember back over the summer, we had these three guys in for the same kind of rolling conversation where we talk about artificial intelligence and the large language models and where all this is going. And wanted to start off with, okay, so it's been six months since we all sat down together. What have we learned in the past six months? <laughs> that we can get our mind blown, even though we thought <laughs> our minds were already blown. <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, the biggest thing I think is going to be the multimodal support that's dropped from GPT-4 and, and chat GPT from OpenAI. So that's going to be your introduction of the image processing or, or image vision. And then to a lesser degree, integrated in all of that is the voice to, to to text and the text to speech applications that are coming out of it. At least that's an open AI's little corner of the AI market. Most recently at their developer conference, they also dropped a huge update with the 128K context window, which just completely eclipses everything it had before. Commercially in the enterprise level, we had a 32K model, but most people only had access to the 8K model. Outside of that, you know, we we've seen the drama with Sam Altman. Yeah, you guys know he he went in and then out and then in and then out and then it's it's just absolutely wild what's happening over there and and then of uh, Q Q Star as well, which is something that we now think might threaten humanity. At least there was a, a literally a letter from OpenAI researchers to the board talking about how it could be a threat to humanity. Of course, a lot of fear mongering there, but to me. Those are the major updates. And I guess we're also on the heels of Gemini Ultra, which Google announced recently, where it was beating expert humans. And I think it's called the Massive Multitask Language Understanding Benchmark. So there's plenty to talk about. And, and I'm sure you guys also have your own takes of what's been going on for the last six months. Tons of updates. And I'm sure it's, it's just going to continue at this rapid pace. Lex, one thing Thanks. I wanted to mention that I think is really, really interesting is that we're all 
dealing with business problems, not just technology problems, right, within our own organizations. And we watched OpenAI literally lose $950 billion worth of valuation like, oh my over gosh. 24 yeah. hours, over 24 hours, and then get it all back. <laughs> it's like, yes. it's like so what a roller coaster. <laughs> the one thing I took out of that is I immediately knew the standard to which I try, I want to build my team. I want Twitter to be flooded with hearts. If anything happens, like I immediately said, like, I was like goals right there, 100% goals. And that was like the most thing I took from that. And to kind of expand upon that, Sam posts this tweet that's like open AI is nothing without its people. A day later, like 700 out of 750 employees, like first off, they just, they just retweet that all in coordination with each other and it's just like wild seeing all these open ai employees like supporting them and then they almost all of them sign the letter he goes they go and then microsoft's like well we got a spot for you it's right here warm and then come monday morning stands back in the and and all in all like outwardly it was and it was just yeah it was in yeah the I, biggest, wonder how, the, I wonder what that was like in, in thing, behind doors you know Oh, well, that like I was one one component was like you have all these employees that are about to potentially get like a, a secondary market exit worth of tons of value. At the very least, staying together is a way to keep the value of everything high so that their own interests are definitely taken care of. So yeah, was, it, was it QSTAR? I mean, let's talk about the technology, right? What was it? Well, let's. Let's talk about what that might do for regulation, for regulators watching this happen over a weekend in this industry that's already like super fearful. I think that's another super interesting thing to come out of that. Yeah, no doubt. I know there was just a a big LLM over in the Middle East somewhere. I think the United Arab Emirates, their model is... Yeah, it's, it's supposedly even bigger than Meta's and completely open architecture and really going to put the fear into a lot of people that are, hey, we better watch what we're doing here because if they're they're putting no safeguards on on their their AI on this model that they're building, but we've got to do something on ours. Does how does that hurt us? Does that slow us back, or does that help protect us? Kind of like from from the perspective of an arms race, essentially for generative AI, Haggai. Absolutely. You know, I I think to that end. There isn't a lot of ground to be gained right now based on where I see language models performing at the moment. There's there's certainly the possibility that we could gain some incremental improvements. Maybe some foreign power creates, some nation state creates their own large language model. But you have to think of what's what's the potential threat of that? What's the What's the payload that would be associated with a, a slightly more powerful language model coming out of you know the United Arab Emirates or wherever else that maybe doesn't have these safeguards? So I, I kind of think like this is where I've seen you talk about what's changed in the past six months. The way I kind of look at the landscape is split into about three different sections. One segment is the big players going after AGI, the people that have the resources, the compute and everything available to go after this. And right now, Google's Gemini, OpenAI, GPT-4, those are the big players. 
then that middle ground is the open source models that are that are catching up quickly. And so, you know, you have a lot of people that talk about, you know, making their own model, but that's still no small undertaking. It, you know, it's still a lot of compute, a lot of that, a lot of time, a lot of expertise. And that's why you see those things coming out of these big places that have all that meta, the UAE, where they have all these resources and capital put towards that. And then that third area is where I think it kind of becomes more tangible to the broader market. And that is where you're taking these models that are coming out the open source and you're you know you're building business use cases on top of them and you're using them to kind of shell out to different pieces and so when i think about all these components i tend to isolate them into one of these three because it's it's kind of hard to uh, talk about them over because if somebody gets to this massive agi thing the other ones almost become obsolete you know oh, if you have sure. this, this magic model that can do everything. So, but that third category that you're talking about, the, the things that are built for business applications, at least what I've seen in the last six months and really since the creation of ChatGPT, these are often going to be service layers that are built on top of these existing models or these APIs, yes. or in some cases, the open source models. So when, again, going back to RAGs, retrieval augmented generation, that's that was such a huge application of these models where you would vectorize some data and then use a language model to access that data or or rather use a, a component to access that data and then have the language model interpret and report on it. Now that's a first party, a first class function with the custom GPTs out of OpenAI. I, I don't even really know how much business specific large language model work there is to be done yet considering now that we have RAGs, which <laughs> I remember when, when I when I saw them drop that announcement, I said to myself, it's as if a million service layers cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced because they had so many companies whose express purpose was building on top of knowledge bases that, that other organizations have. I, I think that it, that's a pretty apt characterization of that. I felt the same way, like the biggest challenge to the middle players right now is kind of like the Apple effect. It's like, is my business going to get rendered null when one of the big players has a feature release? And so that that definitely became a big thing that popped into people's heads when they dropped the, you know, the rag as a feature. But I think one of the things that you quickly came out of that was like, oh, but you have no control over what the rag algorithm behind the scenes is. And so, you know, that's where I think you're still going to have a lot of these very specific players that do want that control, because I think it really comes down to progress and how quickly people are going to adopt the pace of this progress. And you're going to have a lot of people that say, well, I don't want to give up control to this black box, no matter how good it eventually starts to get. And I think that's going to be one of the other areas that's still going to maintain a pretty good case for this business specific piece is that you're able there and you can say, hey, this is how our business specific piece works. This is how we're doing these components in the way that makes sense for our business or this business. And that's going to kind of give people the reassurance that they're looking for as all of this stuff is changing so rapidly. Well, guys, I say, let's, let's see. dig into it. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, you've, you've seen how different the response you get from a chat GPT or others when you start really communicating in different ways and, and really, really challenging the persona of that chatbot. And, and what I'm finding is that even if the language model is very general, you can get really precise with how it answers you and the and the subject matter and the way it answers you by manipulating the persona as well. Beyond so, that, and, and I really want to dig into what Justin was saying earlier about the RAGs and how you can't have control of the algorithm. Because Justin, as you know, there's that function calling aspect, and you can also get that specific JSON output you're going for. So is your is your criticism more on the fact that you don't have control over the data or like the training data that's being used or the privacy around the data that's being put in? Or is it more of you can't really control the way that it arrives at its output? You that's a good question. Lack, that's a great question. You lack control of the algorithm it's using to get the relevant content. And that could be very content type specific. And so and I don't I don't think like that, the transformer algorithm itself or I, I just want to no, know like when I tell it to remember this thread, it's going to go get some content to pull back in. You know, it's it's going to figure out the content based off of our thread or whatever file I uploaded. But I don't really have any way to step behind there and say, oh, you're about to go get some content. I want to be the router. I want to say that the, I want to run the query first through this other pre-processing thing that says, if it's this kind of content, I actually want you to go hit our Elasticsearch index. If it's this kind of content, I want you to go write this SQL. Oh, the manner goes, in which it retrieves from the vector database is where... Well, it, and it might not even be from a vector database. Like you get to mm -hmm. put you get to put a concept in between it that you get to intercept. And it on one of the strategies may be to go to a vector database. One of the strategies may be go to a you know a knowledge base or you know right. hit, write a SQL query or, or and you don't have that control when you're out offloading all of that to whatever they it's give you through their yeah, API. Yeah, call. it's just a big black box. No, I, I totally agree. It's almost like you have to in order to get around it, I've seen organizations start stringing things together where they'll literally have middleware that sits between two different uh, functions that call the endpoints from OpenAI just to make it behave in a way that they're looking for. Now, I'm completely on, on yeah, the same page with you that. I'm seeing more and of that, is, Lex, as well. I mean, where they want to control it with middleware because they want to make the the response a bit more predictable. I think that's a, a pun right. on words, well, right? That but is, you can get predictable responses now. That's the cool thing with, with how they're structuring these assistants is you can have a formatted JSON output. But to Justin's point, the way in which it retrieves the data and, and how the, the entire process that feeds the input data isn't something that we can control quite so easily with the current parameters that are given to us or exposed to us for the API. This is kind of what Llama Index is, from what I understand their main goal, is all about utilize, like being able to get the data as an abstraction that you're gonna feed into your prompt. And what that, and, and to kind of what that means is that when you have these models and you're gonna ask it a question, what is happening is if you can stuff some additional relevant data in there with your question, you get a far better result for, from your prompt. And what we're talking about here is a system that's entire job is to look at your question and go find 
some good data to automatically stuff in there for you to automatically make your result be better. And that's really where this this control is desired, where you say, hey, I want to be in control. I know if it's this data, go look over here. If the question sounds like it's this, go look in this thing. If the question sounds like that. And so you're, you're basically saying that with a couple hints, you can tell it how to better get the additional data to add just to kind of circle back and peel back some of the kind con- I mean, we get kind of deep in the technical side there for a minute. So yeah, my apologies Haggai, for sure. It's okay. But- this is, this is, this is fabulous because people who listen to the show, normally we don't get quite this deep in the weeds, but we do want folks to understand there's a lot of weeds out there and <laughs> you need to understand this gets really deep. This is not just, clicking on 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 a link and having it tell you what time of day it is this is real applications that can do a lot of different things and there's a there's more than just chat gpt out there you know what's so cool though Haggai? And shout out to my the guy that owns my gym his name's Nard Nard Fit Downtown Elite Baton Rouge this is a this is your run of the mill layman uh, he, I wouldn't describe him as a technologist. He's a fitness guy. He, he's out there doing personal training. But with the advent of custom GPTs, you're getting business owners that are now capable of creating their own chatbots based on documentation and internal resources that they have available to them that they can then expose to the outside world. It's so available now. This is something that our lay people are actually able to utilize and create custom, I won't call them a custom model, but uh, custom versions of chat GPT that they can use for themselves. And I think that's just wonderful. I think I think it's interesting that you call it. You point out not a technologist, but you also describing an entrepreneur. And I think the important characteristic there is in, like a characteristic of someone's willingness to embrace change and even thrive in in chaos and change and here recently that's one of the biggest pieces that i keep coming back to i was listening to another podcast and they talked about people's ability to handle change in compressed timelines and how technologists are typically outliers in that they thrive in that situation and so on the heels of hearing things like Gemini being dropped and someone was talking about Gemini versus GPT-4, I think it, I, like what became more and more interesting question is like, is the gap for most people between what they think the world is and what has happening in AI so much bigger than the gap between GPT-4 and Gemini is to them? Because like, are people just like, are, are people prepared to handle a lot of these things that are coming? And is that going to be artificially slowed down via regulation and stuff because of that inability to handle that progress? I think it's slowed down by the the adoption of, of the people themselves. Like you were saying, Justin, it, it takes while many entrepreneurs are technologists. It takes a little while for people to fully understand how to utilize this stuff, despite whatever, you know, advancements are being made in the models themselves. In the sales and biz dev world, Haggai, uh, like what, what do you have any, what are you seeing there? So I've done a couple of lunch and learns here in town with some folks who are interested in, in what's going on with this and how do I, how do I learn? What do I do? And, you know, the first thing I've been telling everybody is 
this this is a tool you have to learn to use this tool or you're going to get used by the tool so start playing with it and start figuring out how you can ask it to put together some relevant information for you if you're in sales and you you've got one territory in town ask it you know give me five people who might be interested in our product and services based upon these parameters and instead of you know google giving you 5000 links see what the actual gpt or or whatever llm you're going to use is going to give you that specific information and try it out and and, and if it doesn't work then try it again or try a different one. But you've got to get involved and see what's going on. Part of our problem as a society, we accept change in about a 10-year span, 30 years into the cell phones. and But we're only a little more than 12 years into, 13 years into really people starting to adopt to use the smartphones. But now everything we do in our lives revolves around that smartphone. Every app, every you go to a hotel and they don't give you a key anymore. You've got to use your phone. They're going to start having your phone use uh, open up the car doors and start your car for you instead of giving you keys. And so you've got to start using these technologies and not being afraid of it is what I've been trying to tell people. Are they are they listening? Yes, absolutely are. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the great thing about it. I, I, I was really, really excited. Both times, they, people were embracing. They were running up to my computer. Let me ask some questions. Let me ask them. They were all ready to go and play. And so I have not had a chance to do the follow-up to make sure, see how it is two, three weeks out. But they were all very excited at, at that time. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. 